the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it is a delight to have my dear friend in studio, Mr. Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, educator, attorney, man about town. Good to see you, brother. It's great to be here and great to see you, too. People keep talking about, you know, the analogs of where we are in America now to the 1970s, and um, we are aided along. I wish... We had the cameras. We are aided along by the um, sartorial choosings of my producer, David Dahl, who's not only got the 1970s getup going today, just bought himself a brand new Imperial, Chrysler Imperial, Frank Sinatra edition, brand new to him, uh, and uh, has a Reagan sticker, bumper sticker he affixed to it. But his pin today, just in case you want to not miss the point, can you see? Turn around and look at his political pin. Can you read it? Did you see it? Birch by 76. So just just so we're pretty sure we're still in a time warp, David Dahl helps us out. It was either that or he's uh, dressing to be a dentist. (laughs) Either that or a dentist. Right. (laughs) Right. Mr. Hallman, what ails you today? What ails me today is your brilliant monologue, uh, which lifted me. The ailing was how our society has devolved into some crises and crisis moments. And the indicator to me of that is that people like you are looking about our current situation and gravely and arguably properly concerned that we are quickly approaching the drain. I'm in a funk. You are in a funk. Yeah. And I've been in a funk. And I try to lift you out of that funk. And your <laughs> monologue lifted me out of that oh, funk no. in this regard. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, go to the podcast if you missed it in the live airing and listen to the monologue in today's first hour that talks about the fact that we told you so, that we were right, they were wrong, but it's in a way to demonstrate what's really at stake. And what am I talking about? We're talking about COVID. Yes, the Hallman in the house is back on COVID after two years of almost straight COVID talk uh, to talk about accountability because your monologue properly points out that the left and their handmaidens in the corporate media are still now talking about COVID, but instead saying that uh, we couldn't have known that uh, anything would should have been done differently. You've got Anthony Fauci in the New York Times blathering about how little anything he did mattered and, in fact, <laughs> admitting as you read between the lines, admitting that he was absolutely wrong about most things. As we know from most of what we saw going on in COVID, the teachers unions and the testimony of the head of the teachers unions in Congress recently uh, expressing uh, some denial, some rewriting of history, some wormholing, as you like to put it, taking it from a great author, that we are going to rewrite the history as, as we're sitting here to pretend that they didn't get it 180 degrees wrong. 
So the head of the teachers union is talking about her push to try to get schools reopened (laughs) when the record is quite clear that she and her uh, friends were desperately seeking for new ways to claim that schools should be kept shuttered, that it was irresponsible of those red states for trying to push for getting schools opened, and on and on, ad infinitum, ad absurdum. Uh, Truly, this is despicable. And what your monologue does is remind us that we do have to hold these people accountable. And you and I disagree a little bit on this. I get very tired of us trying to point out how wrong the left is and that we ought to celebrate the successes when we're right and just talk about that. Well, the right of that is that on this very radio show, you as a host worked diligently to spread the word about the truth of what was going on in COVID, that you did YouTube videos, you took the interviews you had and video interviews you had and put them out into the universe. And what did you get? Excised from YouTube and taken down from social media networks and forbidden to broadcast on certain uh, media channels, just as I did. Your monologue particularly touched me when you spoke about the fact that there were the, quote, Hallmans, it's in here someplace, uh, that we were shamed off the radio. And in fact, we're not overstating this. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened in, for me. My GM spent hours trying to get some live person at YouTube. Yeah, and, and finally did. And in my case, I was told very directly from the folks running KJAZ, the NPR station here in the Valley, that they would not have me on because I was not a physician and only physicians could speak about COVID when my point was I'm looking at data. I'm an economist and a statistician, and I can tell you what the data is telling us about the trajectory of this disease and what we should do to attend to it. And that was counter narrative. The narrative they wanted from the, quote, doctors, unquote, that they were interviewing was that the sky is falling. We have to shut down schools. People have to stay in their homes unless you're delivering food to those people staying in their homes Uh, and all the other crazy actions and sell cloth masks with NPR on the front of them. Uh, Absolutely. That's an important part of it. And KJZZ to to take their uh, call letters there, not to not to promote. But there you have it. And all the other marketing. Now we are watching the cottage industries that grew up under this from the hospitals we talked about in this valley that got massive increases in the amount of money they were getting as long as they could tag everybody as COVID. And so they suddenly had an incentive to take people who were hip patients, get them tested, find out that they had a, a, a an underlying COVID case that showed no symptoms, but therefore they got a 20% upcharge. While all the time beating the rest of us up about how irresponsible we are if we don't take their orders. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to hold these people accountable. Elections are times to hold these people accountable. And worse, uh, or more important, we need to hold news media accountable, like the New York Times, still fronting for Anthony Fauci, who is demonstrated as the worst predictor of what to do and the worst prognate prognostician, the worst uh, doctor in prescribing the solutions, and we all were stuck with that. This is a guy who got it wrong every time. Ab initio. From the very beginning, his first statements were wrong. 
at least wrong the way he took us. Correct. Right? Correct. Not well, his something fir- that's going to dramatically affect the United States. He first took us down the road of this doesn't matter, right. and now is pretending to say, "Well, I said that because I was trying to protect us from the real harm right. of uh, runs on masks right. and all the other supplies we needed." Um, as an example, how crazy this is. So I was exposed to COVID this weekend. Uh, somebody <laughs> felt bad uh, Sunday early, early, early Sunday morning tested and tested positive for COVID. And I happened to have met with that person on Saturday. I then thought it important to let a couple of people who I was close to um, uh, in, in social situations, uh, no, no, just like having lunch with them, et cetera, and for long periods of time, and said, just so you know. And one of them, a very high-profile person who is highly regarded as a scientist, said, we've just got to stop testing for this. Given the health outcomes now, this is a cold. We used to just say, I've got a cold, don't shake hands with me. And now we go through all of this crazy stuff. But I, out of respect and frankly out of interest, went ahead and tested. I tested negative. But more important, I went through the systems that are sent out by the FDA. That is to say these free, free in quotation marks, because it cost us a lot of dang money. Everybody got these free kits. And I happen to have... Two of them left because they just came in the mail. I stuck them in a closet. So I thought, I'll, I'll play with this. The instructions are nearly indecipherable, and they're wrong because somewhere in the manufacturing process, the COVID test kits that they put together by the FDA, our federal government, they changed how they wanted you to do them, but didn't change the instructions. So I'm reading through going, this is amusing. The instructions are for something that doesn't exist here. But then I took a little more time and read all the materials on the box manufactured in. Yeah, of course. China. Yeah. The FDA got our COVID kits from China. The very people who brought us COVID. So now we have this amazing system in which our federal tax dollars are being sent to China to supply COVID kits to test for COVID invented in China. Uh, That's the kind of craziness that we're dealing with. And you have to thank the Biden administration for continuing that process. Yeah. Inventing a problem in order to invent a solution in order to profit from it, both financially and politically. Taking credit. Yeah, you bet. Let me come back with something interesting on this. Facebook is doubling down. I'll hand them credit. I'll give Facebook this credit. They're not revising history. They're doubling down on their getting history wrong. I'll tell you about that when we come right back. Hugh Hallman is my guest. I'm Seth Liebson. David Dahl's our producer, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I hope the legend lives on. We lost a legend uh, yesterday, Gordon Lightfoot. I'll say something about the Facebook story in a moment. Let me take a moment on the culture here because, Hugh, you and I kind of get a little bit nostalgic on this stuff. I think it's fair to say we lose an artist like this who was so his whose songbook, whose whose was so much a part of our growing up and childhood. I can't help but feeling when people like this die. 
a little bit of me does, frankly. Um, I had this interesting opportunity. I interviewed him in 2006 on the radio uh, with Bill Bennett. Uh, Scott Johnson mentioned it in the Powerline blog today. Um, But that's the least of it. Just those lyrics, the stories he told, the way he told them. uh, There was something different about him, something unique, and something that just defined an era, if not a part of my childhood and maybe even young adulthood and even still today some of these lyrics are so chilling that when he dies i just feel a little bit part of america if not me dies i don't know how you come down on this uh, stuff. i'm i'm right it's there. sad it's that's all i'm trying yeah, to say. It, bemoaning that a canadian dying is a part of america is an interesting point but uh <laughs> the the value of these things uh is that it connects us together and yes. that we all have this joint experience. Right. That's it. And in losing that, we've lost a thread of the fabric that connects us. And that fabric is, I think, to go back to the last segment, part of what you're bemoaning is this is grief we are suffering. Yeah, and we are suffering uh, grief about a beautiful political work of art that we both share and admire like we admire Gordon Lightfoot for his lyrics, but also, you know, maybe not the greatest guitarist ever. But like Louis Armstrong, had a style unto himself that was unique and provided all of us with a space where you'd stop and go, wow. Did you ever see him? I I thank you for asking that because I wanted so much to see him that I saw him in 1985. Okay. Maybe it was, yeah, it was 85. Um in uh, Gamage Auditorium. Is that right? And it was a spectacular concert. And it, it is a great memory. But I, I spent a lot of my time, as, as you find culture important, chasing around great artists yeah. that I just wanted to hear because they were so powerful and meaningful. Frank Sinatra, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Gordon Lightfoot, etc. Where you had a completely unique talent that was not duplicated by anyone else and didn't duplicate someone else. And there are many that I, I never got to see live and wished I had. Um, but Gordon Lightfoot was one that I get to say I got to see him perform live, and it was spectacular. Nice. Nicely said. Facebook. So I don't know how many people follow or know who Seth Dillon is, D-I-L-L-O-N, but if you have a Twitter account, he's worth following. He's the founder of the Babylon Bee, the, uh, the hoax website, the Babylon Bee. He's a very smart man. He's deeply, uh, I think, deeply intellectual. And um, he posted this. I wouldn't have known it otherwise. But Facebook's oversight board, uh, Meta, has uh, decided that they're not going to apologize and they're not going to revise. Here's the statement they put out yesterday, believe it or not. And he posts this last week. And this is not satire. Last week, we published the first full and public review of Meta's COVID-19 misinformation policies and enforcement practices on Facebook and Instagram. They own Instagram as well. In July 2022, the board accepted a request to assess whether it should continue to remove certain categories of COVID information or misinformation or whether a less restrictive approach would better align with its values and human rights responsibilities. Human rights responsibilities because they don't do anything in China, of course, right? In its assessment, the board found that exceptional content measures used by Meta at the height of the pandemic were justifiable, given the scale and uncertainty of the health health crisis and the risks flagged by epidemiologists that the spread of false information could cause widespread imminent physical harm. Close quote. Seth wrote... 
This is the wrong approach if the aim is truth. Debates get us to the truth, not censorship. Censorship guards the narrative at the expense of the truth. I think that's beautifully and concisely said, because the truth is the misinformation was what they were putting out, not what they were censoring. Correct. And the misinformation is continuing to be put out. The New York Times celebrating Anthony Fauci as if he is somebody to be highly regarded. He is not. He got it wrong. And Fauci and his cohorts belittled people like you uh, into submission, or if you were not willing to submit, which you didn't, then to have you censored and and removed from the debate. The debate we were trying to have was to alert people at the unintended consequences of the damage that is being done, wrought through the policies being enacted by these people, as well as the fact that the basis for their enacting those policies in the first instance were flatly wrong. And so our editorials stopped being run by the Arizona Republic. Uh, we fortunately had the Business Journal that was still willing to run them. Uh, letters that we sent to uh, leaders in our state. Uh, I took on a matter to try to get our state government to, to change its policy about certain businesses being closed, health clubs and other things, uh, because they were doing more damage than they were good. And yet we still were belittled and crushed, frankly, by that push. You survived, I survived, lots of us survived, but there are people who are permanently damaged. Uh, a young lady who was the head of Levi Strauss, uh, one of their divisions, got fired, her career inalterably destroyed because she was arguing that schools in Northern California, San Francisco in particular, ought to reopen, that the people who were being damaged by that closure were kids of color in poorer neighborhoods. And she was desperately trying to get them back into classrooms so they could have the chance at a better life. And instead, they were shunted uh, into uh, home learning environments that were less uh, than good uh, opportunities for them. And now the unintended consequences are clear. We have increases in youth suicide. Uh, we have increases in drug addiction and, and uh, alcoholism. We have all kinds of, and I'm not going to, I'll say it, they call it learning loss. You can't lose something you never got. We had kids lose a year of schooling. They never got a year of schooling. And for our youngest, the kids who were three to five to seven years old in that period of time, lost all the socialization. And that will continue to have ripples for decades, not just in the economic sense of the massive loss of wealth for this country and loss of earning power, but for socialization and the kinds of crazy challenges that we will now face as a society. Yeah, and you can't get it back. Someone once said you can't turn this light switch back on as easily as you can turn it off. They were right. And by the way, we're just talking about America. You've had nice points to make over the years throughout COVID-2 of what it was going to do to what we used to call the third world. And it's done that. And, and we saw massive slippage. But to finish out this hour, I do want to come back okay. on the notion that in your major point, it is so much easier to destroy yeah. than it is to build in the first instance. All right. I'll pick up on that. Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back 
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm trying to remember what was it uh, Gordon Lightfoot said. His songs are, uh, I'll get it, I'll get it in a moment. He said his songs are either about breakups or relationships about to be broken up. Those were, those were his two genres. Those that cause breakups. Yeah, right, okay. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mr. Hallman, um, where were we going here? Uh, so... There's a question that needs to be asked about why, why they were so wrong, why they were so ardent in their um, in their stridency on their one fixated positions here. Uh, There's the question of will anything be done about it? There's the question I have, which I guess you and I are going to struggle with for some time now, which is, does anyone care? Will it matter? Will any of this matter? I mean, Randy Weingarten spewed lies last week. A couple editorials caught her. Talk radio, Cotter. Does it matter? It does matter. And so I will tell you that I think you're going through the process of grieving. Okay. You and I both were raised on or and by people who appreciated what this U.S. experiment is about. We read Lincoln early and understood it and appreciated it. You know, the geek in me went to great moments with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland Mm. because the snippets of the speeches that they used for Abraham Lincoln were the most uplifting that he ever uttered, some of which came out of that 1838 speech to the Lyceum that you and I off quote. Um, And that is all meaningful. And watching what's going on now as the corporate media has lost its moorings as the institution to deliver truth and to uh, question those in power and instead have become lapdogs for the left because they are afraid. What are they afraid of? Well, the very biggest tools that the left brings out. If you disagree with them, you're a racist. You're a sexist. Uh, And now um, you are Mm -hmm. anti-gender or gender-affirming. Which is the new anti-science, I guess. Correct. And so those of us who would raise questions about the the desire to allow children in their earliest formative years to decide to identify with a different gender and then take significant and permanent steps to lock them into that choice, I think is irresponsible. Um, and we have people raising that as a question and beginnings of studies that are pointing out that for some young people, the decision that got made was wrong. Now, I have to raise this as a big point. Do I think that there are some people trapped in a body that doesn't fit with their mental uh, state? The answer is yes, I do. I think that's possible. If you and I can agree that a human being can have uh, hardware that doesn't match their software in all kinds of ways, I would like to think I'm a great orator. But the hardware I use doesn't quite deliver as I'd like. I'd like to think I could be a great athlete, uh, and I try. But the hardware that I'm saddled with won't deliver that. There are all kinds of disconnections that we have, and part of what brings people to suicidal ideations, other thing, is they're struggling with those kinds of disconnects. Can it be to the point that somebody can feel inside their brain that they have the software that says, I feel more comfortable if I were a woman. I can believe that. But do I think it's a good idea to then promote these ideas to people who are easily 
changed in their thinking. Why do I think that that's the case? Because look at the herd mentality we suffer from in all cases. We are now seeing our society driven towards socialism and other kinds of popular ideas in the same way that our entire society was driven to behave in crazy ways during COVID. Mm. And it was that very herd mentality that drum beating it enough, most people don't want to be on the outside edge of the herd. They don't want to be caught out and at risk. They don't have that capacity to take that kind of risk. Well, I got beat up a lot as a kid. So I learned, thank God for my parents, how to stand alone. So it doesn't bother me at all now when I'm on the short end of a six to one vote. And that's why I'm worried, because there are lots of kids who are easily molded to think things that will have permanent consequences. And will they ever come out and say that they were wrong? Probably not. And the few that do tell you that these permanent choices that are being made are affecting more than just those few who are willing to point out that they made a bad choice. Very few people are willing to do that. Let me come back on some of this with you, Hugh. Hugh Hallman is my guest. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Haunting song. Um, beautiful way he opens it. It was written when he was driving the Carefree Highway here. It opens, picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream. I wonder how the old folks are tonight. Think, Just think about that. He's thinking about his ex-girlfriend, Anne, and her parents, who we must have used to hang out with. You know, I wonder how her parents are doing. It's just... Anyway, memory. Wow. Um, Hugh Hallman is my guest. You were talking about the herd and people willing to stand against it. And I suppose that's fair to say it's why we have a country. It's why we do have the good things we have, is that there was someone willing to to stand against the herd, willing to stand up against those who say you can't do that, you can't say that, you can't invent that. Um, I was taken, I've been talking about this for a couple of days, I guess since yesterday, I don't know if he has any legs here for a presidential, a serious presidential campaign or not, but I'm increasingly interested by this candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, who, young man, 37 though he is, uh, immigrant uh, family, um, is willing willing to go right into that breach that you talked about. So he goes on Meet the Press, unfriendly territory, Chuck Todd, we used to call these interviews, it turns into a debate, and he goes, confident? prepared and not backing down. Can I just play you a little bit of it? I just think it's Please. worth play, play us a little bit of this, it's David. It's interesting. Your rhetoric can sound uniting and your answer just now. But then you say the following things. The trans movement has become a cult. We need to abandon climate religion in America. I definitely find the idea of systemic racism revolting. I say this. How do you square those statements with unification? These are divisive times. This is a polarizing time. We're pretty evenly divided on these cultural issues. How do you unite, do you unite the country when you're essentially denigrating the views of half the country? I don't think I'm denigrating the views of half the country. I mean, let's take the touchiest of those subjects right now on the trans issue. Goes right to it. I think that when a kid says that I'm born into the wrong body, that my gender doesn't match my biological sex, mm-hmm. more often than not, that is a case of a mental health disorder. That doesn't mean you disrespect that person. 
It means they're crying out for help. I met with two young women who regret the decisions they made going through double mastectomies, one a hysterectomy, chemical intervention, now trying to teach kids across the country that when you're struggling inside, going through adolescence, yes, that involves some struggle. We live in a cultural moment today where adults are affirming that confusion rather than actually you ever, treating them compassionately. That's a, cruelty. You ever talk to parents that have a, a, a kid who's going through this? I have, actually. Yeah, yeah and I, I think mean, it's, I mean, it's a parent. My point it's is, it's a difficult this, place to be. I acknowledge right. that. But yeah. what we need to do on both sides here is act with compassion, not really what makes us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's my main issue across what our response to well, transgenderism and the climate. It's solving the actual underlying issues okay. rather than what allows you to signal your virtue. What makes it compassionate, though, to uh, pass a law that denies a parent uh, uh, making their own health care decision for their kid? That's the part of this. That doesn't sound very conservative and small government to me. Well, look, there isn't a state in this union that allows you to smoke an addictive cigarette before the age of 18 that allows you to get a tattoo before the age of 18. That's a body-altering change that a kid may later regret in life. So I think it is perfectly reasonable to say that if you're after 18 years old, you're free to decide whatever you want to do. That's what it means to live in a free country. Hold it there. But we can play more or you can comment. I, I, uh, he uh, makes the point much better than I did in the last segment, which is... I love the courage, though. Yeah, correct. And that is going into the into the lion's den and uh, not being eaten by the lion, by uh, by fighting back. And my point in the last segment and now is the point... You, you've got massively important decisions, and we have to recognize that... Children, especially, are easily convinced in one direction or another. Um, lifelong decisions get made, and people go down roads because they have been convinced of something. Uh, to play an instrument, to not play an instrument, uh, to become a blue-collar worker or a, a white-collar worker. That is to say, should you go to college or not? All kinds of decisions where we influence children and know we are doing so. And why do oh, you not yeah, think smart. that... We in in rendering that influence on children as adults, you are not signaling to them that it is the right thing to do to foster this view and this attitude to make a lifetime commitment to something when that child has not been fully formed. Well, in the past, we used to try to make sure that the things we were dictating children about or dictating to them about were good for them. Generally, we had information and studies that helped us understand education's good. It's pretty hard to screw that up, uh, that as, as, as the uh, interviewer was, was saying, that smoking's probably not good for you, notwithstanding what the Tobacco Institute yeah. might try to teach you in the 50s and 60s. Or ads with doctors in them. Correct. Yes, that's right. That it makes my health, my health longer and happier. Right. You know, um, why is it that we now have the left pushing so hard not to support people in in getting information and understanding it, but dictating the result. No. And that if you disagree that that result is a potentially a harmful, if you, if you believe it's harmful and disagree with their view, that you are somehow uh, not human, that you are denigrating them, to, to quote the interviewer. I, like you, at least I'll take credit for this, always start asking questions. And it should never be the case that asking questions and seeking better information is something to be shut down. And yet we saw it in COVID, yeah. that if we sought the information, I, I argued in the very first editorial, we have to have testing now. People thought that meant we have to test for COVID and then shut people down. 
my point was we need to test for COVID because there are a whole lot of people who have COVID, don't know it, and that gets us information about how lethal this disease is. Because, as we used to say, the we denominator. Never denominator. We right. never got the denominator right because we were only reporting COVID cases that were being tested in the first instances. Unless you've got symptoms, don't test because we need those tests right. for other people. Right. So we were overstating the bad outcomes right. relative to the population who had the disease. And we continued to do that. And then we hid from the data. We didn't want the data because it would undermine Dr. Fauci's terrible statements. And we're sitting here cranking numbers trying to say, given what we now know, given the instances where we gather data that show us how many people actually had COVID and that the risk of death and disease was much lower, an eighth lower, uh, an eighth of the popula- uh, of the actual numbers. So instead of 2%, it was 0.3%, maybe 0.4% or 0.04% at worst. And in fact, the numbers started to say that this disease is no more lethal than um, than the flu. Well, that's got to keep you off the air. Well, now we're listening to people dictate to us. Yeah, right. Dictate to us that these kids are struggling with something and we must affirm that attitude. And I believe it's crucially important that the right kind of counseling be supplied not to dissuade some child that they don't have a feminine brain and a masculine body or vice versa but that they work through those issues to a point that they have a mature opinion about it and then address it appropriately. And the test of how we know that these people are playing games, well, we all know how important it is for young women who were men to be on the swim team and get to compete in women's athletics against women who were biologically, born biologically female. Why is it we're not seeing the other side that that young men who were women, biologically born women, are now men, aren't complaining that they don't get to compete against other men? Huh. So it's only if you're now a woman you should compete against other women, even though you were born a man, and it doesn't matter. But we're not seeing the other side of the argument. You know they're playing games. I have one other question I'll go to break with. When you do take the ultimate choice of having a sex change operation... Why is it only a choice of one sex? We'll be right back. I love our visits with Hugh Hallman. Thanks for coming in, Hugh. Uh, The hours go too fast. But yeah, that point, it's kind of interesting. For Meta's 56 different kind of gender identifications, it is interesting when you go through a sex change operation. It's only choice of one or two. Son of a gun. Son of a gun. Binary choice. There's still only that binary choice. You wanted to make one more point about building up and tearing down before we go. Yes, and I think the the depression you're feeling, I'm feeling, others are feeling about the direction of our society is we recognize that using a sledgehammer can destroy uh, a life's work in seconds. That uh, we we saw with uh, one of Michelangelo's great works, somebody take a hammer to it and damage it, uh, uh, and the Pietà uh, in Rome uh, damaged irreparably in some ways. That is a, an object lesson for us, that the destruction of what it took centuries to build in this society, and I don't mean just from the moment of the founding, it took centuries of human thought to create the platform on which our founders educated themselves to create our Constitution. We didn't get it right the first time, right? We got lucky. 
people often talk about the fact that George Washington is our first president. He wasn't. He was our seventh president. John Hansen was our first president. And we don't celebrate that failure or the first uh, the other six that followed John Hansen. So we do celebrate that success, but that success can be destroyed. Rome did fall. The Soviet Union fell of its own weight. And the freedoms we have been granted that Lincoln pointed out, we must take with responsibility that if we do not honor what came before us and how we got here and instead celebrate the 1619 project and insist that the U.S. is flawed from the beginning and it must be changed, those people making that case are seeking power and to create a different society. And at stake is the liberty and freedom we all enjoy. We all get the gifts that have been handed to us and the risk we now face is that it can easily be destroyed unless we are continuously watchful. Well, now that means, given the upcoming elections, to be thoughtful. It means doing more than following the social media from one side or another. It means taking the time to do what our founders did. Get fully informed and understand, because as somebody who suffered from it, I'm called a rhino. I'll tell you, I'm as conservative as you get. But I am willing to understand the issues for the other side, and my hope is that we can convince them to our side. But you don't do it by berating them and beating them. You've got to convince them, and we need to do more of that. Nicely said, uh, Hugh. Thank you for that. And in that vein, I'll go out with a quote from a founder, Thomas Paine. Yeah, none of this is easy, but as he put it, the greater the struggle, the greater the reward. I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm still Seth Leibson. I'll be Seth Leibson still. Class is dismissed. (laughs) Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.